This is our Suburb Help report for July 2022. We'll be looking at what property investors need to know when they're looking at investing across the country. And in this episode, we'll be discussing the rental crisis. How did we get there? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecaster report, which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Okay, you may or may not notice a subtle change here. This is Suburb Help episode, not Suburb Trends. Suburb Help is a project that Kent and I have been working on with property writer Nick Bendel. We've been concerned for some time about the abuse and misuse of property data in some quarters of the property industry. So we're making it easier for investors to make better decisions about where to invest. So check it out yourself, suburbhelp.com. Now, this month, we've asked Kent to look at the rental crisis, where it's hitting hardest and the areas poised to feel it next. Kent, can you just kick us off briefly by explaining how you've tackled this challenge? Yes, I've looked at areas. I use statistical area three as my standard. Uh, It's a group, a cluster of suburbs, so you get some statistical significance. And I've looked at a number of variables, including the, the stereotypical rental increase, the median increase. Uh, also looked at vacancy rates, but then extended it. I've looked at data a slightly different way. I've looked at the increase in rents as a proportion of income as well and created some lists there. And it's interesting to see the dramatic impact this is having, especially in some of these regional areas where rental increases have gone up, but relative to their income, it's really having a significant impact. So that's that's a big problem. Asha, on that, I'm jumping ahead, I know, but rental data is potentially more readily available than income data. Would that be fair? Correct. So the data that I've used as a benchmark, uh, as a line in the sand, was the census, the last census information uh, down to the SA3 level. Um, And obviously, uh, there's a new census coming out in a matter of weeks mm. so the data will be fresh and uh, a lot of the nerds like myself are rather excited about it but <laughs> um, it's a good tool of relativity and, and we know that that income hasn't dramatically risen in the last four, four or five years so yeah no but will incomes in some of these regional areas have risen more dramatically than elsewhere good point uh, i think the exodus of of a lot of city folk uh, moving into the regions, which is part and parcel of why prices have been going up, sale prices and rent prices. Mm. What will go with that will be uh, obviously some some income changes. So I think socioeconomics and income will be two of the biggest, uh, mm. most dramatic changes we'll see in the regional areas when we look at the uh, the census. Oh, you're going to get very excited about all that. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. So, Okay. <laughs> Current rents, I mean, look, I'm always yelling at the television or yelling at, you know, Facebook if I'm looking at a news feed or whatever about headlines around property prices and 
uh, the property industry, that often a lot of lazy reporting, really, and also a lot of use of data without actually understanding what the what's about the data or what's what's underneath the data. However, it does appear to be that all these uh, headlines around a rental crisis, there appears to be a huge amount of substance to these. Um, are current rents really at record highs? Yes, they're, they're the largest I've seen them in, in 20 years of, of studying the market. Obviously, there's been pockets over the last 20 years where we've seen uh, rental crises um, limited to geographical areas, mainly mining communities or mm. some type of you know large project that's created a boom. Um, but we've, this is really fascinating to see so many areas. So typically we've seen something in the order of around 85% of the country has had a 5% or higher uh, rent increase mm. um, in the last 12 months alone. So that's that's been, that's quite huge. And I've never seen anything quite like that before. The other standout is... We're used to vacancy rates on average of about 3%. And if we go across all of the markets, I call every SA3 a market, uh, they're around 1.5%. Mm. So vacancy rate's about half. And many of the markets that I've, I've created a top 10 list will go through later on. Um, prices have risen you know, in, in many markets by 10% or more. You mean sale prices or rental prices? Uh, sorry, rental prices, mm. yes. I'll call them rents just to not confuse it. So, yeah, yeah rents have gone up. Um, now, there's been a, a, a few pockets where they've been fairly stable in the last 12 months, but they're in the minority. Mm. Um, the vast majority have increased by uh, 5% or higher and a very large proportion, 10% or higher. And what are we dealing with here? Are the regions worse or harder hit than the capitals? It's. I would argue that that is the case, and the reason why I would argue that is if we step out and, and, and look at the income or the rental increase as a proportion of income, suddenly the regions jump to the top. The other thing that stands out for the regions is such a limited pipeline supply. Mm. And we, we look at um, you know, building approvals for houses um, they're very, very low in many of these regions. When we look at units, most of that unit activity is limited to the cities. And when we look to build Toronto as a saviour for the rental crisis, as mm. so many people, so many poly policymakers seem to think, they're very limited to the capital cities. So, you know, yeah. it's very Mel Melbourne-centric, very Sydney-centric. So I don't think we have a white knight coming in in the form of build to rent. To, to solve problems in these regions. So I think, uh, now, if I include the Gold Coast when I reference a region, that's been hit dramatically, very hard. So I think it would be very challenging for a family, a lower socioeconomic family uh, in in the Gold Coast or in somewhere like the, the Southern Highlands um, mm. where they're attractive areas, they're areas where uh, people from the city can sell up, they've got surplus, they've got, you know, money to, to actually spend on a rent while they build a house or find the dream house. And this happened two years ago. This happened with the exodus due to COVID. But now that's kind of left us. But what we have now is is people uh, looking to work from home. And, you know, that's, they're fairly comfortable working from home. So as a result of that, there's a crowding out effect, um, using the old economist term. So there's crowding out in, in many of these areas where the city folk have come in, they can outbid uh, mm. the locals, 
and uh, there's a crisis in the regions. And my concern, you know, I come from Newcastle and the, the saying up here is the policy is always made in Macquarie Street, re referencing you know, New South Wales government. So I think the biggest problem you've got is if a lot of policies are being made uh, city-centric, you know, by people who are based in the cities, mm. uh, based in Macquarie Street, um, they would say, well, yeah, there's a rental crisis, but it's not that bad because they'd probably be looking at some of the pockets of higher vacancy rates near them. Mm. And, and that is the case in in certain pockets in each city. If you're in Melbourne, certainly Docklands has had, you know, in Melbourne has had relatively high vacancy rates for some time. Uh, there's pockets of Sydney, it seems to shift. The epicentre of, of high vacancy rates seem to shift from around, you know, Auburn or around Parramatta now it's kind of shifted back over towards uh, the southeast there or, you know, towards the city. Um, but these pockets are drying up. It's a bit like a drought with puddles. So the, 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 the vacancy rate puddles are, are starting to, to dry up. Mm. Um, so And if we start to see an influx of, of overseas, um, you know, the, the borders opening up, people moving in from overseas, um, they will flock to where they can find a property. They're not bound to schools. They're not bound to things. So they'll go to where those vacancies are. So it's, it, I think it's, it's very likely that these vacancy rates will dry up very rapidly. Interesting. Have you ever seen this level of rental demand in the past? No. I, I think a lot of it may well be due to the fact that people can't afford or people have given up on, on buying. Mm. Um, so I think that's a, a big challenge. Uh, I've certainly uh, not, not seen it. I think the, the one of the things that I've noticed, and I'll, I'll flip over to the property market, is the first home buyers just have been squeezed so hard when it comes to houses that they've fled pursu pursuing affordability. So they've fled into these lower socioeconomic suburbs that have traditionally been under 500k and suddenly nudged them up to 600k or nudged these suburbs up to seven. The suburbs where I grew up as a kid that were frowned upon, that were you know tough, lower socioeconomic suburbs, that hit hitting a million dollars now mm. in the western suburbs of Sydney. So, uh, and then what you've got on top of that is uh, a number of investors who are doing their search based on yield. So you've got that pursuit of yield chasing those suburbs that are sub 750k. So we're seeing a lot of these affordable affordable suburbs, no matter where they are. They're drying up rapidly, and if you if you do try and do a search, it's very hard. I do it for the for our list, um, mm. you know, suburb help. We 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 did originally when we did that suburb help list, we we did have lower price brackets for houses. We yeah. created different you know different curated lists of where to look, and I gave up on the four hundred, and and it was it was not impossible. I gave up on the three hundred, then I gave up on the four hundred. Now there are some that appear in the five hundred k mark. But boy, it's hard, and you you you're trading off a lot to try and find something under five hundred. Gets a little bit easier as you move up, but it only starts to make sense, and the lists start to look quite nice at that eight hundred k mark. Mm. And that's very hard for a first home buyer. Yeah, it is, and it's hard for a lot of investors too. You know, we know that people are trying to get into the market at five hundred thousand dollars. It's a lot of money if you need to save it up, isn't it? But it's uh, not. It doesn't buy you much in the property market. <laughs> yeah, and yet look, and what it does is it forces you into that. Uh, different asset class and it's a it's a substandard class the the strata class is not going to give you the capital gains of a house well true although there are 
little pockets of it that will do very, very well. So there's really crappy houses you can invest in. There's some really good apartments. And so it's it's getting into the, the yes, micro. I should have prefaced it by saying on average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, on, on, on balance. What's interesting, though, around yield, you know, the, the calculation of yield is basically the rental uh, income, the, you know, as a ratio of the actual value of the property or the purchase price. And some people will calculate yield as to what the property will be worth if they sold it and others calculate it as against what they actually pay for the property. So there's two reasons, I get there's different reasons why you would use each of those metrics. If prices start falling... Which, which we're starting to see. We're certainly seeing that growth has stopped. <laughs> and in some cases, we're seeing some falling prices. And if rents continue to rise, it's going to make some places look particularly attractive because the yields are going to be looking like they're really big. They're really good. Yeah, I think there'll be some... Um, the numbers will play some, some tricks on us here. So what will happen is the rents, by and large, uh, will stay where they are. They won't be as rapid because what we typically will do is um, use a rolling 12-month uh, median for that. So what we may find is the rents are a hold or the rents don't go backwards, but the prices do go backwards. So it all depends on vacancy rates, whether that'll stay the case. So if vacancy rates stay where they are, it's very likely we're going to see an ongoing uh, improvement in, in that yield calculation, mm. depending on how you calculate it, as you mentioned. Mm. Typically, the way I like to do it is look at the sale price of an individual property and then do an individual rental estimate per property. And then I plot those on a map. And you can see where the clusters are of, of the higher yields as well. This has been sort of get back to some of the areas and examples um, that you've come up with in your research. But this situation really is the result of a series of poor decisions and unexpected challenges, you know, um, natural disasters as well as um, actual prudential measures that have been really conspiring probably for the last six years to change the, the proportion of investors in the, in the market. I recorded a, an episode for Your First Home Buyer Guide with Megan and she did a bit of research and sort of tracked all the things that have really impacted on the investor participation in the market since really 2016, if you go back, um, and like to set the scene, uh, there's something like 10 million households in Australia and 32% of those are renting. That's 22.6 million. Actually, that does not add up. Her numbers do not add up. <laughs> but basically what she's saying is 10 million households in Australia, 32% of those rent. Only 3.7 uh, is public housing and 26% of the rental market is owned by individuals so that's 2.1 million properties apparently owned by your mums and dads investors your individual investors and leading up to 2018 the number of private owned rentals was trending up but then obviously slowed down and obviously that's great for tenants because they have choice and negotiating power but as a mix in the residential property market that was scaring um, some of our regulators and APRA, the financial regulator, started taking moves to limit investor participation. And they did that, and that started 2016. And then the Royal Commission happened into banking. And of course, then that sort of the dial got turned up a bit in 2017. Then there was um, the market peaked. And we all know that investors don't tend to buy in slow markets. They, they like to pile in when prices are rising. They don't necessarily like to buy when prices are falling or stagnant. So you've got sort of a almost four-year period really until the beginning of 2021, sort of three and a half years really from mid-2017 where investors weren't really participating that in, in great numbers. 
Um, and then we also saw the federal government, uh, the 2019 federal election, you know, there was all that talk about negative gearing that spooked a whole bunch of investors, would-be investors. And you also, before that, you had the Liberal government changing depreciation um, payments for negative gearing investors. I mean, so there's all these things keep conspiring. And then, of course, you got COVID and that itself brought a bunch of expats back, often displacing tenants as families moved back into their own homes. And then after the initial shock to the short-term rental market, um, as domestic tourism rapidly increased, you've got all this availability of Airbnb accommodation, the expense of long-term rentals. So, and then you've got natural disasters. You've got floods that are basically rendering properties uninhabitable. You've got a whole massive demand. So there's all these... And, and these small town rental woes it never would have made a headline previously. Uh, you know, all of a sudden is is, is very much front and centre of the national psyche. So this this isn't. You know, people might go, "Oh, this this is just a recent phenomena." I I think the groundwork for this has been set for some time. We've seen it coming for years. Mm. You know, and and as I've always said, unless the policy changes the dial with regards to supply, it's not really a good policy. But I think what what you're saying is really interesting as well about the Bill Torrent, and we've we've discussed Bill Torrent here uh, as well, and we can see that there's there's you know significant investment in that area. But like you say, that's all in urban areas, and that's building more apartments too, predominantly, right? Yeah, um, I'm fascinated by the they call it multifamily in the mm. US, and and I, it's a friendlier term, and <laughs> and so many of the owners of multifamily are mum and dad investors so there's mm. so many of them that might be an eight pack or whatever so and there's lots of um tax incentives and local incentives for them so i think what we need to do is somehow emulate some of those things not everything the u.s does is is good but this is one thing they do quite well and the other thing i think we do well is the community housing groups i don't know if you've had too many of you the i think you had a few community housing groups come through on we've the had podcast. michelle adair she's the ceo of the illawarra housing trust i think it's called and she's she's come yeah. a couple of times and we might have to get it back i think uh, there's 32 of them odd that i've met as one of i think power group anyway um they run a really good operation mm. these are people who genuinely care and they've got all the systems in place so I don't think we need to invent too much here. Mm. You know, we just need to amplify what's working. Well, you know, I've I've been known in the past to to not think too much of social housing. You know, the idea of you what is it? Feed a man a fish, you'll eat for a day, and teach a man a fish, you'll eat forever. It's so you know, my privilege is basically screaming loud, <laughs> even to, even <laughs> to say that. But I've certainly of recent times seen that, you know, governments have, oh, that's another thing that's contributed to this rental shortage, that governments have been consolidating their their stock, their their inventory, and um, and not investing as much in, in social and community housing as well. So this is all contributing to this problem, right? Yeah, I don't think you can leave it to the market in its own right. I think, as, as one of your guests said on a, a podcast a, a few weeks back is the focus the singapore model mm. works rather well you know and i think the government does need to step in here and look at supply related uh, opportunities so uh, and again you know use the systems but uh, i think the the regions are being neglected as a result the exodus has put a squeeze onto them there's a couple of things you know a couple of spots i just wanted to call out mm. so i've got a i've got a, a couple of lists to go through and the first one is just the the increase in in prices. And the first one is uh, it's an area just um, to the northwest west of Bendigo. So in that Bendigo region, yep. 
Loddon uh, Elmore. It's increased by 32%. Very small sample, so I won't spend too much time on that one. But the Gold Coast North, that's it. this is a big market. It's well known. Mm. And uh, houses there have increased by 25% rents for houses wow. in the last 12 months. So, you know, it's 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 huge. But, but even, hang on, going back uh, to your, your Loddon Elmore, so that's northwest of Bendigo. Yeah. It's, it's a regional Victorian. Uh, it's not that far out of um, Melbourne, I guess, in the whole scheme of things. But... But no. that's the thirty-two percent rental increase. That's top of the list, right? I know you said it's a small sample, but that—that's whopping for a regional area. It's scary, and, and when you look at that, that also appears on my uh, other list, which is the as a percentage of uh, income. Mm. And we're talking very large percentages of household income being lost um, to to rent increase. But that's assuming so the same people-, people are renting them, though, isn't it? So basically, well, it's just the average. It's just we're looking at the average income for the SA three as a as a as a line in the sand yeah. as a, a a ratio. But what's probably happening is that those same people that were previously renting there are no longer renting there; they're renting somewhere else. Or well, where do you go? Mm. You're pretty squeezed, and and when you get into the more regional areas, the moves aren't a couple of kilometres away. No, the moves might be ten, twenty, fifty k. Um, so suddenly now we're looking at j- impact on schools, impact on jobs, mm. impact on fuel costs, etc. So this is one of the reasons why the regions jump out. My heart is in with, with a lot of the regions and uh, areas like that jump out, but equally the Gold Coast. Um, you know, everybody loves the Gold Coast, and and but the local families there that are, are in that rental market those that are in the lower socioeconomic brackets are being squeezed extraordinarily hard. So um, Southern Highlands is another one. Mm. I mentioned that earlier. That's the third. Now, that's jumped up by 24%. Uh, Sunshine Coast Hinterland uh, is another one. That's jumped up 24 Uh Majurabar, Okay. So, again, that, that? That, that's a southern pocket uh, um, down to the south of the Gold right. Coast. So that... That whole pocket, you know, that beautiful pocket is being overloved. Um, and <laughs> obviously, you know, people want to move Those there. Mexicans. It's so stunning. <laughs> yes. Well, I think two out of three um, people from Melbourne want to, want to live there. Um, and then in that same area, in Narang, mm. so, you know, right, heart, right in the heart of the Gold Coast there, 22%. Um, now we start to step out. We go over to the Margaret River area, so the Augusta Margaret River. Now, again, that's one of those beautiful areas that you go to when you just want to get out of the city. Uh, That's jumped up. The rent's there up by 22%. Um, And I'll I'll finish this list, then I'll go through and we'll talk about the vacancy Mm. rates here because there's only really relief in two of these top 10. Uh, Pittwater, I think we all know the Pittwater. So that's um, that's jumped up by 21%. And uh, I've got, what, two more on that list. Ormo, Oxenford, again, in that Gold Coast pocket southeast queensland <laughs> and the last one on the list is gimpy kalula and one of the standout things for for gimpy is it's has a very very low cfa uh, score if you look at all the suburbs and their socioeconomic index scores um the average score i had for that is below mm. three so there is not a lot of socioeconomic advantage in that marketplace so a, a jump of 21% in rent for that particular location is So some scary. of those other areas, obviously Southern Highlands, I would imagine generally it's got a pretty high CFA score. Um, the Sunshine Coast hinterland maybe. Um, Pitwater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, 
I'll go through. So, okay, so the the Loddon Enmore was uh, CFA average of three point six six. So just so yeah, that's very low, very low. So big impact. Um, the Gold Coast North um, just under six. Mm. I'll round it six. So it's you know just slightly above average. Southern mm. Highlands is eight. So that's above. But remember, yes. these are averages. So half half of the suburbs mm. are below. Um, Sunshine Coast hinterland might be a bit of a surprise there. Mm. It's just below six. So it's not as advantaged as what you think. Um, you know, I think a lot of people just mm. instantly go to Noosa and think about Noosa when they think of, of that part of the world. Um, Mudjurabar, Talabudra, that's closer to nine, so that's advantage. Narang is close to six, so just sl- above average. Uh, Augusta, Margaret River, seven. Mm. Pitwater's ten, <laughs> very snobby, the Pitwater. Uh, Ormo Oxenford above three, and we mentioned Gimpy Kalula. Yeah, or Kal- at 2.9. Yeah, that's uh, so just below there's three. there's no real pattern, is there? It's not like only areas um, with, yeah. you know, higher socioeconomic um, advantage, uh, you know, it, it's not like it's skewing one way or the other, or are you seeing other things in the data? I'm seeing some early trends that uh, they start, I call it out as, and hypothesis for now until I can prove it. I think what may well happen, what I'm expecting to happen, is that the lower socioeconomic areas will flatline. You won't be able to get blood Well, that's from the thing, stone. isn't it? Because at the end of the day, there's, you know, and rents are capped by incomes in a way that um, p- property prices, purchase prices aren't. Mm. Exactly. So I think that there will be areas where we'll see rent increases significant rent increases but they'll be constrained to a few pockets where the socioeconomics are much higher so what i've done is i've picked a few of those areas and you know the inner west inner southwest around sydney uh, are standout so there's a couple of spots like that that i expect to to still see um, price rises so i did create a list there and i, I forgot the third area um. that i targeted so I've got uh, Brisbane in a city was the third one. So I had Sydney in a southwest, Sydney in a west, and the third one was Brisbane. So in a Brisbane city. in a city and Sydney in a southwest, both heavy unit um, population or uh, content. <laughs> Is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> a high proportion. Yeah, of, yeah thank high you. Density. High density. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, both of those areas have had high vacancy rates. Uh, you know, it went up to like 13 and 14% in some areas uh, yeah. immediately mm. um, when COVID hit. And and that's because, of course, the overseas students went back home or the people working in the cafes and all the rest of it, they sort of went back to live with their parents. So there's, you know, that was uh, yeah. a lot of people working in the airport, for instance, lived in Alexandria. Apparently that was <laughs> big hit. That's the place. Um, and now that they've all gone back to work and also they're sick of living with their parents and, and students are going to start coming back in and migrants are going to start coming back in. So, of course, is, is that sort of what you're pointing out there to say, well, those are the areas really where are going to benefit from that change? Yeah, so we've seen the vacancy rates. Obviously, there's as vacancy rates trend down, that puts a significant upwards pressure on price. And what's happened in these locations is prices did adjust mm. eventually. I think a lot of landlord pride gets in the way and, they try and keep their price where it was for the last few years and realise, hang on, it's it's vacant. It's been vacant for three months. What's wrong? Well, the price is too high. So they lower the price, and now what we're faced with is coming off a low base, we will see percentage increases as a result of that as vacancies start to get below where 2%. Are, 
I guess where are the high? What are the highest vacancy rates at the moment? Yeah, the highest. I've got my little. I've got a magic, Love your list, magic here. list. So why don't I just um, <laughs> just expand that? Um, so some of the. Let me just. I'm just going to make sure I've got every every row filtered properly, um, so I get it right. Um, yeah, some of the highest spots. Um, I'm trying to. I'll try and talk to some of the ones that make sense. Blacktown North has got a fairly high vacancy rate, but there's a lot of new stock that comes on and it just stays and then it fills up and it doesn't stay that way. Melbourne City is probably the standout one that's mm. been consistent. Um, and and it, it seems to just, it looks like it gets a run on and then it flatlines, but it's 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 the moment, um, it it's what, just over three, but at, at its height, it was up where you mentioned mm. Alexandria was. It was, you know, well uh, up above your know, temp. 10% for quite some time. Um, but, you know, by and large, it's it's rapidly falling everywhere. And so the amount of areas that I've identified is above 3%. Um, there's 12 of those out of, you know, 350-odd markets. So it's, it's very rare to find any market at the moment with above 3%. It's, it, there's concentrations of it, and I'm doing, calling a market yeah. an SA3 here. Now, if I if I zoomed out and said how many suburbs, that would be a different. But but when you average it out and you're looking at it at an SA three level, there's very few above three. That is very small percentage. So roughly what four percent or something sitting there, and three percent used to yeah, be sort of yeah. like you guess. So you'd be pretty happy with that, wouldn't you? Average, three percent ret- <laughs> pretty three percent vacancy rate was kind of the the what what the I'd call equilibrium. <laughs> you know, it's a fairly balanced market. Um, so that tells you how how big this problem is, and I, I'm failing to see how where where the solution. Can you get negative is. vacancy rate? Is it possible? No, because the the way we measure it, it's it, it you now it can be measured a few different ways. The way I measure it is I, I look at how many this is census data as your denominator. It's how many properties are rented by real estate agents by they do it down to actually an SA1, SA2, mm-hmm. suburb, SA3, etc. So it's the number of properties that are rented by real estate agents. I use that as my denominator. And then the numerator in that ratio is how many have been listed for 21 days or, or longer. So, you know, stale mm-hmm. listing, as you would call it. So, you know, being, being advertised for, for three weeks or longer. So that's my my approach. And people have got different different measures. Um, I think what's important here is if it's a relative measure, you can effectively compare and contrast areas. And you can say, well, most of the opportunity um, for somebody to find a decent rent is isolated mm. to the cities and the pockets of high density. That is the problem. And and it seems to me that the build-to-rent opportunities, etc., they're piling in on the cities where these vacancy rates are above and 3%. We have discussed this before because... You know, this is the thing, isn't it, that you, you've you had a situation also where you've had enormous growth in property prices uh, in the last, well, not so much the last few months, but certainly in 2021, and yet the actual apartment prices in some of these uh, these areas has done nothing, Some in some cases potentially gone backwards, uh, whilst the rest of the country's been on fire. Um you know, then you you've got a situation where they've been difficult to rent. It's been a bit of a bit of a horrible situation for a lot of the owners in those areas. And then you've got a situation where you've got built to rent targeting 
um, to compete with those those type of investors, which is a shame because then you've got other areas where there's these terrible vacancy rates, so the stock's not actually in the right spots. That's the problem, and I I wonder if if a lot of the built rent operators are focused very much on uh, the city because that's just a, an easy place to find a a, a, a you know shovel ready mm. uh, site. Um, but where they're needed is in a lot of these regional cities. Do we have any data on the proliferation of short-term rentals or, or a, a change from um, numbers available for short-term versus long-term? I saw this, oh, well, I saw this really interesting article yeah. um, that was suggesting that in New York there are more properties on the short-term rental market than now available on the long, or that are on the long-term rental market. Wow. Um, I, I'm i trying to remember if that was one of the first podcasts Ooh. we did together. And we we remember we dug into it and I, I spoke to somebody who managed a number of um, Airbnbs in and around Bondi. And um, this was right at the start of COVID and a lot of people um, instantly just converted their properties over to medium-term <laughs> rentals, just, you know, six months or people getting out of offices or getting out of the house and working from uh, from there. But um, I haven't uh, done any analysis of um, the the short-term uh, market at all. Um, and I'm not too sure. Are things going boom when it comes to um, holiday accommodation? Well, it appears tourism? to be the case because, um, yeah, you know, the, the uh, regional – sorry, the domestic travel has just gone crazy – and oh, anecdotally, I've spoken yes. to just a lot of people in a lot of different regional areas who have been pointing to one one of the causes of a rental shortage in regional areas has been that um, people have converted their properties to the short-term rental market, but also quite often people, I've heard even heard of people almost shamefully admitting that they've bought, you know, deceased estate and done a bit of a quick tart up and put it on the short-term rental market because it's much more lucrative than the long-term rental market. So it is a bit of a problem mm. when the numbers stack up for investors in that way um, that, you know, mm. that that's, that's is impacting on the, the vacancy rates. And, and with the legislation that took so long to come through in New South Wales anyway, and, and certainly like anything, you've got a new economy and you've got uh, <laughs> new, new technologies and all the rest of it and legislation takes a while to catch up. It took so long to get short-term rental legislation through New South Wales um, and potentially other states as well. And so now it's it's through and it's almost out of date already, even with the restrictions that have been placed on it. Um, and those restrictions are often placed on uh, short-term rentals, like the number of nights, for instance, that they were could be made available, um, you know, for different reasons, not actually to preserve uh, accommodation for people actually needing to live somewhere, they were those restrictions were put in place. I think most mostly to protect local owner occupiers from being, you know, the impact of too many party yes. party goers. Yeah, the Gold Coast parties. I think we've all seen that in the uh, in my my Apple news feed's got two things that it seems to focus on. Why <laughs> is that? I think that's one of them. Uh, but yeah, you know, the other thing that I've I see a lot of, and the sad news is the amount of people saying I'm forced out and mm. I'm living in in a tent or I'm living in my car now. Now I don't know if that's just my newsfeed and what I'm tapping on, 
and reading, but that seems to be prevalent. I'm, every second story now. Well, I might have now. the wrong numbers here, but I was talking to somebody who lives down the south coast who was telling me that um, Batemans Bay, I think there's a Batemans Bay Facebook group or something, and in the Oval down there or the Batemans Bay Showground or something, there's something like 70 um, people living in tents there. See, that's that's sad. So we're at a crisis, and, and, and I wonder if the government truly has got its head around how do you solve an, mm. an immediate crisis. And, you know, they've done this in the in the past with, you know, effectively um, the Nissan mm. huts yes. uh, back in the time. You know, they built those, you know, and they were, they were, at least they were well constructed and, you know, could, could, they wouldn't leak at night time and they were sem- You'd kind, want of, them, kind of warm. Well, I don't know. They'd be warm in that's, summer. I'm not sure they'd be that warm in winter. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, if we if we did that at scale, it'd be better than yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we've seriously got to address this. I think that it's absolutely ridiculous that. Yep. And and to be honest, I think I have to do one of my little rant videos about you know should we really be renting our properties out in the short term market in preference to rent them out to people who need homes like. Or do we need another word other than crisis? Because that's going in oh, one ear and out the other. Overused like that. Um, yeah. Pivot and unprecedented. They're the sort of three words that are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we just yes. hearing far too much of. Yeah, paradigm shift was my big one for a year <laughs> or two. Um, I've got one mm-hmm. more list to, to go through. This is this is a list I push out put out called the biggest losers, and I, I didn't I didn't realise it could, came across as derogatory, and that was never the intent. This was the percentage of income that you've lost as a result of uh, an increase in rents. Mm. And I did it over a two-year period to try and kind of capture. Um, so the first one was Noosa, 16% less income. Yeah. Yep. The second was Tweed Valley, 15%. Noosa Hinterland, uh, 14 Richmond Valley Coastal, 14 Here it comes, mm. Lodden Elmore. We mentioned that one earlier on, 13%. Broad Beach Burley, yeah. seeing a bit of a pattern here down around the Gold Coast, 13% less. Um, Gold Coast North, 13%. Southern Highlands, 13%. Coolangatta, 13%. Coffs Harbour, 12%. That rounded out the list at, at number 10. And if you look at somewhere like Coffs Harbour, there's a very, very large proportion uh, of the suburb itself, Coffs Harbour, that has uh, lower mm. socioeconomic uh, neighbourhoods or households. Um, so they're hurting bad. And add this to rising energy costs and rising cost of lettuce, um, amongst other yep. vegetables and other <laughs> just general cost of living. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the word crisis, it's overused, but appropriate. You know, th- this is a situation where people yep. are not able to they're not able to find rentals. If they can find it, it's a um, massive increase compared to what they were previously paying, and then what are they foregoing in order to be able to put a roof over their head? So mm. I really do feel like we're, there's, we've just got a bit of a perfect storm in this country at the moment. You know, it's like everything is hitting, all the consequences of, yeah. At the one time, and it's not no. just us. If you, you know, these same problems appear to be uh, certainly in the US, the same in Canada, the same in the UK. Um, you know, a conspiracy theorist would say, what a coincidence. Um, but it's sad. It's just a very sad situation. And, you know, we do have the ability to solve it. And I, 
I'd put submarines on hold oh, I and thought focus you were gonna on housing. Yes, people live in submarines. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that is, yeah, you know, we've got to worry about blowing up China, what, in 20 years or something. What... Um, what is happening in America? Is this same sort of rental crisis happening in, the, in other countries? Yeah, it is. Um, so it, it, a lot of it's isolated the cities. So certain cities have different situations. Uh, it does look like um, yeah, the interest rate movement in the US is having a, a bigger impact there on their housing market. So I think there's a lot more correction happening on the prices. But certainly these uh, themes, uh, these patterns are... Uh, effectively ubiquitous across several Western countries. But if you look to America after the GFC and obviously the big subprime lending catastrophe, there, you know, and look, mm. I've only been to America once, it was a long time ago, so I haven't seen this with my own eyes, but I understand there's quite a number of cities with tent cities on the outskirts of them. Yeah, San Francisco um, is common, the, the tent city, LA as well. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the politicians, um, there's a lot of, you know, politics mm. at play here and finger pointing saying it's a result of uh, one side of politics, etc. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's just a, it's a sad problem and I don't want to see rows of tents with young families um, at all. And, you know, given how rich we are as a country, let's just solve it with an emergency situation right now. Yeah. You know, so how are we going to how are we going to solve it when we run the country? I think that, I think you need to you know, well well how do we solve it here? I I'd get, keep on looking at the the, the Nissan Hut solution. Um, you know, look mm. at what they did um, with the flood zone up in Lismore. Um, you know, they they went up up the road at a large sports oval there that was up and high out outside. I think it was um, uh, Ganella Bar or one of those particular suburbs, and they've allowed tents and you know temporary accommodation. Uh, there uh, we need that yeah. scale all right so okay it, it's interesting we've got a bit of a theme happening this year really we are talking about affordability in its various guises and everyone at, you know if you're wealthy enough all you worry about in terms of housing affordability is whether a first home buyer can buy their first property we're not talking enough about the affordability as it extends two people who literally can't get a roof over their head. And we are talking about families and families with jobs. It's not even like it's it's purely the disadvantaged now. It's that, that extent that disadvantage is creeping uh, beyond the typical mm. um, demographic. So, yeah, I don't have any solutions, but at least we're raising awareness and maybe that <laughs> we're just part of the conversation. Yeah, well, rattle yeah. the cage. <laughs> Let's rattle yeah. the cage. All right. Thanks, Kent. Enlightening as usual, and and I think too, if we sort of go to our suburb help um, theme on this one, if you like, uh, the danger for investors if they are starting to hunt for yield, there's going to be some poor performing assets that are going to start looking like they got great yields, and I think that's probably the danger for investors sort of lurking behind. If we if we take take our socially aware hat off for a moment and go back to being capitalists, <laughs> uh, that that's the danger here that the investors are facing. I think. Yes. Um, well, what we've done with with it, we've curated a number of lists. There's over forty uh, different lists there. So whatever your appetite is, we do have. Uh, the yield mm. lists in there to you know by by city and typically what you'll find in the in the highest yield um, and it's 
there are some filters in there that try and pick the best in terms of other variables other than just focusing on yield. But um, the heaviest weighted variable is yield. And as a result, you'll see most of those lists are, mm. are units. <laughs> and typically, and on average, you'll, you'll find that you know, units will return around half the capital growth. Now, a well-positioned unit or a well-purchased unit in the right spot might do quite well but on those the short ones term. typically won't have high uh, yield. We, <laughs> well, yeah. So, but um, so I think, but the 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 face of the the urbanisation of the cities is obviously it's a big thing now, and you know, houses, um, you know, it's very hard to find a house in Sydney mm. under seven hundred and fifty k. So, units of units look very different today than they did a few years ago for that fact. Um, but um, uh, the, the searching by yield alone. Um, you know, you will. There will be trade. I think a big message in what we're trying to achieve with Suburb Help is this idea of you got to democratize data so people can make good decisions themselves if they've got the right data in front of them. But you need expert advice to take it to the next level. You know, you really do need local expertise. And there's there's too much of this data being pushed out there that you and I have been ranting, you more so than me even, because you know how the data has yeah. been used and abused, um, that's been, that's yes. been pushed out there and, and leading people in the wrong, in, in, poor, in directions really that aren't going to um, serve them well in terms of their financial future. So, um, but data is a very important part of the process and understanding sort of what goes into uh, a solid area to invest in. But then the art comes down to understanding the local market and what type of property is going to do well and how to identify that and how to work out what it's worth and how to negotiate, all that sort of juicy stuff. So data will get you so far, suburb help will get you so far, and then you need that expertise. Very good. I had that exact same discussion today that uh, you can locate an area with science and then finding the property comes down to art. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.